This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So the bottom line of all this is that the Lord does not tolerate any bragging or putting on a show or being a show off to oppress others. So what the Lord really was doing here is this is a real put down for this person. Why? Because that's who God is. Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah 57, 15 says, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The Lord doesn't dwell with show-offs, and this guy was a show-off, but the Lord says, I don't have a place to lay my head. Now, that was true. I mean, that was the Lord's life. As a baby, he doesn't have a place to lay his head, so he ends up in a manger. In disciples there, and soon we're gonna see him, he's laying his head on a bench on a ship, and then on the cross, he lays it against a piece of wood. That's the Lord. And you look at that and you say, what condescension of the Lord. Here's the maker of the birds and the foxes. Here's the one who put into the mind of the birds and the foxes to build their nests and dig their holes. And he provides for those nests, he provides all, and the holes, as well as providing the daily food for those birds and those foxes. And he makes a statement like this, that he doesn't have a place to lay down like they do. Now, the key to seeing what he's seeing here, the key, actually, let me put it this way, the key to really getting into the depth of what this statement, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head, can be seen if you just take the word made, M-A-D-E, made. Because the first consideration for the word made is in John 1.3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this is saying, if it was made, the Lord Jesus made it. He made everything. It says in John 1.10, John 1.10, that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. 
He made everything that was made. He made, he, he made the birds, he made the foxes, he made the sticks that the birds make the nest with, he made the dirt that the fox burrow their holes into, and that's the first made. That's in our mind, that he made everything. Now we have the second made for us to consider, which is the made in Philippians 2, 7. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. It says that he also made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he made the world and he makes himself of no reputation. And that's why he has no place to lay his head because he made himself to be a servant that would die on the cross for our sins. Now the third maid, which comes to us, is a thought of what benefit this brings to us. What's the benefit of when he, Lord, made himself to be a servant to die for our sins? And this maid is in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 uh, through 22, verse 22, really. But it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22 where it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made, that's our word, alive. He made himself to be a servant with no place to lay his head to go to the cross so that we could be made alive in Christ. So he makes himself poorer than the birds and the foxes, and that's the reason why he did it. He became poor. As restated, restated, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, ye through his poverty might be rich. He made himself poor, to make us rich. We became rich when our sins were paid for. When he became poor and died for them, died for our sins, paid for them on the cross, we became rich, as it says in famous verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. We became rich when we were adopted as sons of God. We became adopted as sons of God when he became poor, when he became poor, when he suffered, and when he became poor and suffered, he did that so that he could bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We became rich like kings. We became kings and priests and rulers when he became poor, when he was slain for us. This is in Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 5, 9 and 10. They sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. But just that thought, of God making himself so poor so we can become rich, that's astounding, but it's also foreign to us. Because we think about that, God made himself. I oftentimes hear this, especially in Israel. 
these Israelis will say to me, what, what are you saying? God became a man? And then it, 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 that, and dying like that, they say, no, that's not possible. That, and, I say, and I say, yes, that's foreign, it's foreign to me too. It's foreign to you, it's foreign to me too. Why? Well, God said it would be in Isaiah 55.8, Isaiah 55.8, God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. Now, I'm afraid for this disciple, I don't know if this is the disciple later on described other, in other places that went away sad, but I'm afraid for this disciple that he didn't stay, that he walked away. And there's a very good illustration of these two types of decisions, stay or go, in the history of Ruth, in the history of Ruth, where you have two, two women, Orpah and Ruth, and both of them make a commitment to their mother-in-law, Naomi, as she's on her way back to Bethlehem, in Ruth 1.10, Ruth 1.10. Both of them said, they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Kind of like this disciple. I will follow thee with the servant I'll go. So, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. But the difference is, in verse 14, Ruth 1.14, Ruth 1.14, they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. That little phrase, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, kissed her goodbye, but Ruth clave unto her. So two, two decisions. Now, as everybody in that disciple also is thinking about it, wow, the foxes, the birds, he doesn't have a place to lay his head, what's it all mean? They're thinking about all this. Here comes another disciple in verse 21. Verse 21, another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. All right, so it's okay. This is it's reasonable, right? Suffer me first. His father's died, or he's going to die, or he has died. He's got to go bury him. Seems like a reasonable request. And you would expect the Lord to say, of course, go ahead. Bury your father. Mazel tov. Bury him already. And uh, we'll wait for you. We'll, we'll still be here. So go ahead. But that's not what the Lord said to this man. And boy, I've been challenged with this also. You follow a person who says to about don't bury your father, let their bed, okay, it's a big question here. Let the dead bury the dead, what is this? So the Lord didn't say that, go bury your father. He, he said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Seems so harsh. Why did the Lord say that? What was going on here? Again, just as the Lord saw this shallow emotional outburst in the first disciple, too eager, the Lord sees something in this person also that if he returned home to bury his father, he might not come back again. Now, this is a real issue that has to be seen from a Jewish perspective, not just Jewish perspective, but anyway. Very common reason why Jewish people do not come to Christ is because their parents don't want them to. And their parents, even in some cases, made them promise. Promise me, you will not become a Christian, you will not go to Christianity. And this is what's really at the heart of this pull that really comes down to parents come before Jesus. Parents come before God. So the Lord's answer here is not just about a son doing the duty of burying his father, it goes far deeper than that. When this disciple brought up how he had to choose between following the Lord and obeying his parents 
because the Jewish parents are, are typically so much against following the Lord Jesus Christ, this became like a showdown. And in this showdown, the Lord was saying that there was a time right then when this disciple had to make a life decision between his parents and the Lord. Again, not uncommon for a Jewish person today who wants to follow the Lord for his family to say to him, it's either us or Jesus. Either you love us or you love Jesus, you choose. And in those cases, in those cases, that's why that's the background behind what the Lord said in Luke 14, 26, Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I've told you the story about the, the rabbi in Brooklyn who came out and we met together, and yes, he saw that Jesus was the Messiah. Yes, he saw that Jesus was God. Yes, he prayed to receive God, to receive Jesus as God and as the Messiah. Yes, he did. And then he went back to Brooklyn and was so excited about his new discovery and was determined to bring his congregation along as well and his wife and his family. And that stopped him dead in the tracks when his wife said, okay, here it is. if you keep with this Jesus, then you have no wife because I'm leaving. You have no children because I'm taking them. You have no house because my father bought it. You have no job because you're working for my father. You have no community because they'll all leave you and you'll have no congregation either. So you choose. And then he called me and he said, sadly, he chose, chose them. Comes down to either us or Jesus, you choose. And that's when the Lord said, when it comes down to you saying, oh, I love my mother, I love my father, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my brothers, I love my sisters. He said, you can't follow Jesus. And then the Lord says, you replace that love with hate. In those situations where you either have to choose between them or Jesus, then it's no love there, it's hate there, it's love there. So the key there in Luke 14, 26, Luke 14, 26 is the word come to me. Come to me, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and so forth. See, the come to me eclipses everything else. And it means that if there's any obstacles in the way of a person coming to the Lord, then the person would hate the obstacle that stands in the way. It's not that the Lord was saying to the disciple that he should not honor his father and his mother. The Lord's the one who gave the fifth commandment. The Lord Jesus gave the fifth commandment to honor thy father and thy mother. But when it comes down to the showdown, to the showdown between the, the fifth commandment and the first commandment, the first commandment wins out. And the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So the Lord says to this disciple, it's not a case of no one's gonna be there to bury your father. He says, There's others, he, he calls them the dead. He says, let the dead bury the dead. And also, a Jewish funeral can be can be, not always, but can be a very emotional experience. It sounds strange, but a funeral for a father is a very dangerous place for a young disciple to be at because, and the Lord is trying to protect him from that. So he's saying to this person, don't let anything divert you from following me, even the death of a father. And by the way, the Lord told the group of dedicated ones in the Old Testament called the Nazarites, he told them, you are not allowed to mourn for your father or your mother if they die. It says that in Numbers 6.6, Numbers 6.6, 6.6 through 8. It says, Numbers 6.6, 6, 
All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister when they died. And the priest in Israel, by the way, the priest in Israel was not to mourn or defile himself for his dead uh, father or mother. It says in Leviticus 21.11, Leviticus, Leviticus 21.11, neither shall he go into any dead body nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. Now, it's very interesting. The Lord says, let the dead bury their dead. It's beautiful because he's obviously talking about two deads, two deads. I mean, the dead, literally dead, the one's got to be buried. And then they, he's talking about the dead, let the dead bury their dead. Now, it's a common expression, it's common, Jewish expression is a common expression, really, in everywhere, to say that a person is dead to a certain subject. He said, oh, well, you know, you, you want to talk about that? He's dead. He's dead to that. In other words, the person is not interested. They're not interested. In other words, to say a person is dead to something is to say that he's indifferent. He's bored with it. He doesn't care. He doesn't, not interested. And that describes the difference between life and death for the saved and lost when it comes to interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. The saved are alive in their interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. The lost are dead in their indifference and, and no interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, show me a person who is not interested in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indifferent to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a person who is Ephesians 2.1, Ephesians 2.1, dead in trespasses and sins. And that's the same as saying that a person is dead unto God, dead unto God. In other words, they have no interest in God. The subject is just too boring for them to even consider God. They're just dead unto God. They're described, as it says in Psalm 10.4, Psalm 10.4, which says, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Really, it literally says God is not in any of his thoughts. He's dead unto God. When you talk to them about God, they have no interest at all. It's like going to a morgue and pulling out a corpse. And you preach your best sermon to the corpse. And you really think that was a great sermon. And then you look at the corpse and you say, well, now what's your response? And when they say to the corpse, why don't you respond? What's the matter with you? And you can yell all you want and you can shake that corpse but you're not gonna get a response because the problem is he's dead. That's the problem. Now, on the other hand, you show me a person who is intensely interested in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, a person who wants to know more about Jesus, more about Jesus, and he wants to know how Jesus thinks. He wants to know how, uh, he wants to study more of the Bible about the life of the Lord. You show me a person like that, and I'll show you a Romans 6.11 person, Romans 6.11, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This person is alive to God because he is described in Psalm 1-2, Psalm 1-2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He's so interested, day and night. Or Psalm 119-97, Psalm 119-97, where David said, oh, how love I thy law. It's my meditation all the day, all the day. This person is so interested in God, he can't get enough of God. He can't get enough of God. He can't get enough of his word. He's alive. You preach a sermon to this person and he's shouting amen. And so when we look at what the Lord said from this angle that we just described here, of being dead, dead as being indifferent toward God, then 
we can see a reinterpretation of this verse where he's saying to this person, you are alive because you have an interest in following me. So let those who don't have an interest in following me, who are dead, let the dead who have no interest in following me bury their dead. And so now what we've done is we've seen two disciples here, two disciples. And these two verses, these verses here of these two disciples show us two extremes, two extremes. The first disciple, he's too eager. He hasn't counted the cost. He hasn't let the decision really sink deep down into his life. He's trying to make a show. He's made a show off of his dedication. That's the first one, too eager. The second disciple, he's not eager enough. He's the opposite side. And he's in danger of allowing his family to pull him back. And this danger, you could see it because he uses a very bad word to describe burying his father, and it's the word first. He says, Matthew 8.21, Matthew 8.21, suffer me first to go and bury my father. It's a very dangerous word, first. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous for us to use the word first, unless it's context of following God. C.T. Studd was the Babe Ruth of cricket in England, very famous. And he wrote a poem, the poem, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. And C.T. Studd was a student at Cambridge University. And he was part of a group of students that dedicated themselves to the Lord and left England to be missionaries. They were known as the Cambridge Seven, the Cambridge Seven. They left England for Africa, and they started Heart of Africa Mission, which later became the World Evangelism Crusade, or WEC. When they left England with their crates on the ship, they painted two words on all of their crates. It wasn't their names, it was just two words, and the two words were God first, God first. Because people would say, why, you have such a bright career, you're a sports, sports famous person, and so much, look at me, you're Cambridge University educated, why are you leaving all this? And the explanation was those two words, God first, God first. It's very dangerous for this disciple, very dangerous for us to say, Lord, let me first go and do this. Lord, I will meet you this morning in my devotions, but let me first go and do this. Lord, I will serve you, but let me first go. And the reason this is so dangerous is that the first comes, and then we never get around to the Lord. God has to be first, God first. So, we've seen how these two disciples, each of them so different, one being too eager, the other one being not eager enough, and the Lord knows each one of them, and he has a special word to each one. To one, he says, count the cost, slow down, count the cost. And to the other, he says, whoa, you're in danger of drifting away. And that's what makes our shepherd so wonderful. It's because he knows each one of us and he guides each one of us according to our individual needs. And this is what he said, he says he knows us, each one of us, like he knew those two. It says in John 10, 14, John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And then he says in John 10, 27, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. Now we understand more and more, Lord, why you say he's your beloved son in whom you're well pleased. And uh, we're also well pleased with him, Lord. And help us to be more like him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.